First going to read John chapter 20, starting at 21, and then we'll jump to John 17. So this is the word of the Lord. Jesus, oh, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And then John 17 says this, I in them, this is Jesus praying to the Father, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, just so that the Lord, world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. Father, we pray that as we open up your word, we come under submission of what you, your divine revelation to your people throughout the centuries. May we understand what it means to be an Easter people. But we, that we arise and understand that the resurrection doesn't just affect one hour of the week or one day of the year, but it affects every moment of our lives. So we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So last week we looked at the celebration of Easter, how Jesus was the first to arise. He rose from the dead. We looked at how the resurrection gives value to our grief and our sadness. It uh, reveals our true desires and how it calls us by name. And so what we're going to do over the next couple weeks, this month of Easter, we're going to be continuing that on what does it mean for us to be a resurrection people? And how does the resurrection affect all of our lives? So to begin, I, um, I want to show you this picture. This is a, a statue, a piece of art that I experienced recently. And so what I want you to do as it's up here, I, I'm going to just sit in silence and I want you to reflect on it. What do you feel? What do you sense? What do you, what do you experience as you look at that piece of art? But I want to, so this was, um, we were on our last day in our trip to Israel and we, I saw this and it, there was these like, it was this like bougie, like area in like north part of Jerusalem that had all these really nice shops and there was these pieces of art and I saw this and it captivated me and I just sat there and I looked at it for a little bit and I just I I, I felt this and I, I remember and I still to this moment just think that and wonder if this picture is the destination of many of us this is what I mean by that. There is only a head. There is no heart. There's no hands. There's no... I mean, you can tell there's weariness. But it's all head, no body. And as I 
think about what does it mean to be an Easter people? What does it mean to be a resurrection type of people? When I think about the, this passage that we're about to look at in a moment, where Jesus says, as the Father uh, um, sent me, so I send you. What it means to be the sent people of God. When we think about being sent as disciple makers who make disciples. I wonder for how many of us this is a head thing and not a heart thing. I wonder how many of us, we can look at the Christian life. We can look at discipleship. We can look at the resurrection. And it's something that we can theologically check the box. Yeah, I believe that. Ding. Yeah, it's objective. I know this to be true. And I think of my discipleship as growing and it's maturing and it's happening, but it's primarily happening in my head. It's a theological thing. It's a truth thing. Now, am I saying that's bad? No. But what I would argue is I think this person is incomplete. God did not make us as floating heads. That would be weird, right? God made us holistic, head, heart, and hand. And I wonder for how many of us, as we go through this uh, passage and as we look at what it means to be the scattered or sent people of God, that it's primarily in our brain and it's not yet felt in our hearts or lived out with our hands. So let's look at this passage, John 20, 21. Jesus is now resurrected. And so he's starting to make some appearances. Uh, it's starting in May. We're going to be looking at the post-resurrection witnesses that Jesus revealed himself to. I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to it. There's some amazing stuff in the last two chapters of the book of John. In one case, he actually uh, approaches and he sees the disciples and he tells them what's next. And so this Jesus is now resurrected. He's alive. He's revealing himself. He's showing his resurrected body to the disciples. And he says this remarkable thing in this passage. As the Father sent me, so I send you. So we have to understand what this word send means. Send or sent is the Greek word apostello. It's where we get the word apostle from. So the apostles, this is not a authoritative position. These are people that are sent by God as messengers. We Acts 1.8, don't go anywhere because I want you to be my witnesses. You will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So he tells them, wait, you need to get the spirit to do that. But they're sent by God. So the apostles are sent ones. They're sent to plant churches, proclaim the truth about God, form people in the gospel. Now, if you fast forward, this word sent, the, the language of the New Testament is written in Greek. But as church history unfolds, it becomes Latin. And so when that transition happens in Latin, which is the root of our language... The word that's translated for sent or apostello is the word missio. Okay, you following me? So sent in Latin is missio. What does that sound like? Mission. Who are the ones that are sent on mission? 
Missionaries in our language, right? So the word for missionaries is the word apostle, just to make that connection. They're sent ones. They're, they're the ones that are empowered by God to go out. So this is where we get the idea of mission. We get it because they're the sent people of God. We get mission because Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And as we look through the Old Testament, it's not just the apostles that are the sent ones of God. Uh, the Apostle Paul, for instance, had 90 plus people on his apostolic team. Now, we don't like to think about that. We don't like to look at the last the chapter of Romans. You usually think of Romans, you think of like Romans 5, you think of Romans 8. It's so, it's so rich. But one of the most rich chapters in all of the New Testament is the last chapter of Romans. Because you start to see the men and women that Paul commends to and that are on his apostolic team. That he's sending them out and he's empowering them. The spirit of God is empowering them to go and establish and strengthen and build up and start all these beautiful, wonderful, messy churches. Now we see this also in the Great Commission. For many of you, this is a reminder. Matthew 28, this is one of Jesus' last statements before he ascends. This is his literal last statement in the book of Matthew. It says this, And Jesus came to them, and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all eight nations, or ethnos, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The the mission the disciples are sent on, the mission of apostles, the mission of the sent people of God, as a reminder for you, Soma, is that it's to make disciples who make disciples. And this is an as-you-go time, right? The word go, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but have you ever seen like, a missions team or short-term missions team and they have the t-shirt that just says go like it's a command that's theologically inaccurate it bothers me i'm a nerd about that stuff but it should say as you go like well what's the difference well first of all go is not a command you're already going the assumption of the passage is you're already doing the things that jesus is calling you to do as you make disciples So it's not add these things. It's as you go, as you live in the neighborhood that you live in, amongst your neighbors and your friends, where you work, the job places, the place of your vocation. For many of you, where you spend most of your time. For students, where you learn, the schools or where you play, recreation, kids sports. This is an all-encompassing picture of what Jesus is calling his people to. And this vision is where we get our Soma name. This is a reminder, like I said, but this is going to be important. We get our name Soma because it's the Greek word body. And this is what Paul says in Ephesians 1. And he, God, put all things under his, Jesus's feet and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his Soma, the fullness of him who fills Sunday mornings. No, it fills all in all. Don't miss this. 
the picture of what Jesus has given his church as the sent people of God is so that his people fill every single area of life. Every moment of every day as disciples who make disciples, that is what counts when it, we, it means to be the sent people of God. We argue that all Christians are God's people. You've all received the Holy Spirit. It's what happens in John 20. It's what happens in Acts 1. You've received the Spirit so that you can be sent by God. But here's the thing that I want to dwell on for a little bit. Because in this passage, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So how did God send Jesus? What was the means by which and what was the motivation that led the Father and the Son and the Spirit for eternity past to think about the ways that we can redeem our people that are fallen in sin? How did the Father send Jesus? So I want to ask you the question. Where do you remember the word sent or send in the Gospels? Or even specifically the Gospel of John that we've been in. Where do you see the word send? Okay, yeah. He sent them out two by two. And what did he do there? So... The disciples, Jesus sent out two by two. He took the 72 in Luke chapter 10 and he sends them out to go before him and proclaim. So this is kind of his preparing the disciples. Hey, you'll do this without me someday. I want to send you out two by two. That's in there. Yeah. What else? Yep. What's the verse right before that? For God so loved the world. Because that's John three seventeen. Because he did not send the son in the world to condemn the world. Think about that as you proclaim the gospel. But for God so loved the world that he, he sent. He's, John 17, we just read this passage. Can you put that up again for a second? John 17, 23 through 25. So that the world may know that you sent me. And loved them as you loved me. Why did the father send the son? What motivated him? What fueled him? Both within the father-son relationship and the triune relationship with his people. What fueled the father to do what he did in Jesus? Love. Love. What do we see in the beginning of Jesus's ministry, he's baptized. All three members of the Trinity are present and he baptized. Jesus is baptized and he's coming out of the water. A dove or an image of a dove floats on him, representing the spirit. But what does the father say of Jesus? This is my son whom I love, whom I am well pleased. Jesus began his word, his ministry With words of affirmation and love from God the Father. 30-year-old man, just taking care of his family. Now is being sent by God and reminded of his love. Jesus knows love because eternity past, he's been in a loving union with the Father, Son, and Spirit. 
We heard this this week, and I want to say this again because it's mind-blowing. Before God is creator, God is love. Before he built, he is lover and beloved. What does 1 John 4 say is the foundational truth about the character of God? For my theology friends, if you ever look at a systematic theology, if you ever want to like read a Bible book about the character of God, What's usually the first character that's described for God? Holy, set apart. You think of the omnis, right? God is omnipotent, which means all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. We think of those things, right? But what does the scripture say is the very truth about the identity of what God in himself is like? Love. Seeking the highest good of the other. Laying down their life and laying down themselves for one another. It is out of that love that God created the world. It's out of the love that the son sent to pay the penalty for our sins. And the revelation of love on the cross. So as the father sent the son in love. How is the son sending? How are we sent now? In love. In love, the same love from eternity past, the same love that you and I are welcomed into. As Peter says in 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, we are now partakers of the divine nature. What does it mean to be partakers of the divine nature? It means we are participants in the love relationship of Father, Son, Spirit. We are now beloved. We receive love. And that same love is what sends us to make disciples who make disciples. But I want to show you this picture one more time. Because when I think of the church as disciples and disciples makers, I tend to think of this picture. Because so much of our discipleship has been head. Think rightly. Do this. Say this. And this may not be true of us. I'm, say, I'm speaking of church at large, Western Christianity in the last couple hundred years that we are products of. Okay? Since the Protestant Reformation, Protestants started by a lawyer, it makes sense that it's going to be head driven. Okay? My fear, when I think about our, us, I think about the church. I, my fear is that we're motivated by something other than love. I think many times we think and we've bought into a lie that we are first thinking beings. Descartes, there's a guy named Descartes that said, I think, therefore I am. And I think many of us bought into that. I have to think rightly. And then once I think rightly, I'll be able to. It usually shows up like this. And maybe you're guilty of this. I know I've been guilty of this. If I just know enough, once I know enough, then I'll be confident to share my faith. Or if I just knew as much as fill in the blank, then I'd be able to live that life. What's that revealing? We think, oh, picture gone. We're head beings. 
My, motive, my fear is that our motivation for discipleship, how we disciple, why we disciple, how we're sent, why we're sent, is one that is primarily something other than love. And some of these can be really good things. Like love of theology, love of God's word, wanting to uh, adhere to truth. That is so good. And I want us as God's people to adhere to God's word and to know it and to study it and to know and to believe it and to trust it and to walk in it and disciple. Like I want that deeply. I want to think rightly about who God is and what the gospel is. But if love of theology is the primary motivator, you're going to end up discipling people into thinking beings first. Even if, and this is where I'm guilty, and even if your love of the vision of Soma about gospel saturation, and even if you love that so much and that's what fuels you and motivates you, there will, I will, I'll say this, and I'm guilty of this. If your love of the vision of the sent people of God is more than your motivation of love, you will burn out. You're like, oh, we're the sent people of God. We're evangelists. We're missionaries. We're, we're like, that's so good. And I want more of that. And I'm going to keep hammering that drum. But if your love of the vision is more than your love that you've received from Jesus. Or your love for Jesus. At some point, you're going to get to the point you're like, this doesn't make sense. I'm kind of sick and tired of working in quote unquote God's economy like Justin talked about earlier. I'd like things to just go smoothly for a while. If you haven't been there yet, it's not far. Because that's what happens when our love for vision is more than our love that we've received from Jesus. I am, I'm not, please, I'm the first, I'm the chief of sinners of this. We need to realize that we are loved by God. And it's not, it's not until you realize the depth of God's love for you that you really start living on mission. This is my guilt. What happens when love is not the motivation? People become projects. People become, oh, if they just do this and then they do this and then they do this, then their life will go well. That's a project. I just product, project managed their life. I just engineered them to healthy living. Now, are those things wrong? No. But if that's the motivator, what happens when people don't follow the steps that I gave them? Oh, am I gonna get frustrated? Anybody's parent, any parents here who their kids always follow the rules? Yeah, no? Disciple makers, if you're discipling somebody, have you ever encouraged somebody to do something and they don't do it and then things go bad for them? If truth is the motivator, well, they're not living in truth. But if love is the motivator... Missionaries, we end up 
what happens when love's not the most motivator? We, we go and we, we, we do and we get all the four G's and we get all the, the tactics and we use all of our tools and we do all this great stuff and I'm all for it. I bleed this stuff. I, I love it so much. I go to the labs. I have the discipleship pathway and I work the pathway and I do all this stuff and it's so good and it's almost, it's great and I'm all for that stuff. But what happens when we do that when love is the, not the motivator? You're going to hope, maybe you're expecting people to love you in response. You're doing it so that other people will love you. But then what happens when they don't love you and they walk away and they leave? Oh, does that sting? Oh, is that, is that painful? And does it hurt? And it legitimately does hurt. Even when it actually, and this is where it's fearful. I'm just going to be honest with you. This is more dangerous than living by your head. Because when your heart is on the line, whew, you better be secure in your love of the Father. Love has to be the motivator. We, um, Darian and I, this uh, last week, we had the opportunity to go on like a spiritual direction retreat. Um, I've done a, a few of these over the last couple years um, and, and they're magnificent. They're wonderful. And it's revealed a lot in my own heart, my own story, why I do what I do. Um, a lot of it's been coupled with counseling and with counsel and, and learning my father's story and how my, my life is not ones where I've received a lot of, I have not received a lot of wounds per se, but I also hadn't received a lot of blessings which is like, this is my son whom I'm loved, who I'm well pleased. I am a person that's got a, a good-sized vacuum in my heart, which means I haven't really gotten anything. I've gotten opportunities, but when it comes to experiencing love, it's, I'm more of a vacuum than a wounded healer or than a blessed individual. Does that make sense? This is Dave Patty language, Father God. I highly recommend your DNA go through it. So that's been part of my journey. My, part of my journey in this is getting to the point where it's like, okay, what's, this isn't working anymore. I hit this wall and I, I, it's disorienting. So we're, this Rome, I'm going to show you this Romans 5 passage. I'm going to give you a little bit of a picture of what God did in me and what I hope God can do you in the retreats to couple with it. This is a Romans 5 passage and this is the message paraphrase from Eugene Peterson. It says this, by entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with him, make us fit for him. We have it all together with God because of our master Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting his praise. There's been different things at different points that have stood out to me in this passage. That, and I've been invited to, in silence, reflect on these different things. Wide open spaces is the Hebrew understanding of salvation. Think about that for a second. To be saved is to be in wide open spaces. 
But this time we were in- invited. What stood out to you about that? And then, and then what comes to mind? So this time as we're standing there, it's uh, sitting there, it's, we throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown his door open to us. That hit me like a brick. And so as we were, we were sitting, and this is a multiple day process, so I'm bringing you these retreats and these journeys. It's not like a, I hear this and then I get this final thing. It's kind of this wave, and you kind of have to trust the Spirit to bring you to where he wants you to take you. So I had this picture in my mind, because I'm, I'm learning, I'm still growing in this. What does it mean to experience the love of God as a motivator of mission? And I see that passage, we throw open our doors to God. So in my imagination, I feel like the Spirit gave me this. We were, uh, we, during my sabbatical last summer, we got a chance to go to Disneyland. And so we were on, we had like a adjoining room with my parents. And so I had a picture of this, that space. And you know in hotels, when you have the adjoining rooms, you have two doors, which means both sides have to be open. You can't open both of them. Right? So I'm sitting here and I'm, I imagine, like it said, what does it say? Open, uh, we throw open our doors to God. I imagine the door opening, my door opening. Now I want you to just reflect on that. What do you experience emotionally as you think about throwing your door open to God? Because for a long time I would have been, I sure do hope He opens His door too. For a long time, I would have been, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open it, but what if he doesn't open it too? 70, 77% of people have an, a, a picture of God that he's either hateful, that he's an antagonist, or they have a negative view of God. Emotionally, not theologically. Their head works. They could check all the boxes about what God is like. But when they think about an emotional experience with the divine God who is alive, they would think like I do. I'm going to open my door, but I sure do hope he's going to open his door too. Because what if he doesn't? Man, how much of a letdown is that going to be? What happens if he doesn't show up when I want him to show up? Notice the emotional heaviness of this, right? This is mine. I'm bringing you in my story. And you're going to have something similar, maybe, I don't know. So I, I have this picture of opening my door, my door but then I, the door on the other side is already open. What came later to me is he, uh, that he has already thrown open his door to us. I, I had a picture of God on the other side waiting to open his door when I open my door. But you know the, the passage of the prodigal? You know how the, the father is looking? He's waiting. And then the second he sees it, he runs. It's that picture. So I'm sitting here and I, I have this sense of the father's arms open wide. Joy. Don't see like a face. I don't see eyes, nose, any of that. But you know when somebody just sees you and they exude joy? It's like, oh man, I'm so happy to see you. And then we hug and we embrace. 
And then we start jumping up and down like schoolgirls, you know, like that excited, like, yay, we're here type of moment, this chest to chest embrace. And then this hotel, remember, this is all like visceral for me. The hotel we were staying at was like on a couple of floors up and there was this long walkway on the side of the hotel. And at the end of the walkway, you could see Disney. That's the adventure out there. And so I felt this experience of embraced by the father, like hugged, loved, cherished, desired. And then it was like a hand in hand, we're going on an adventure, let's go. So this, the language for me that I kind of captured was um, face-to-face, hand-to-hand, heart-to-heart. That captured what the Spirit did for me in that week. Face-to-face, I mean, we prayed this earlier in, before the gathering, that the, the, uh, the, His face to shine upon you. That's the benediction prayer. The face of God is real. Go on, go home and study what the, how the face of God shows up in Scripture. It's where His life to life. It's how we communicate. It's with our faces. So a face of joy, heart to heart, and in hand in hand is what it means to be on this adventure. And usually, what happens is one of those in my life goes off. It's either not face to face which means we're not an intimate connection. It's not embraced heart to heart where I know I'm loved. And it's usually not hand in hand where it's like, I feel like I've got to do the work and God will come along when I'm, he, he needs to rescue me. But life, all of life, is to be all of those. Where I can imagine the face of the Father and he looks at me with joy and love because I am in Christ and I am no longer in sin. Remember last week, I am Miriam. I'm no longer Mary or Maria. That's the experience of what it means to be motivated by love. Because we can't give what we have not yet received. And, my, and I'll go back to my fear. My fear is when we think about living on mission, being the sent people of God, arising so that every moment of every day counts towards gospel saturation, where it doesn't happen through me, it happens through every single one of God's people, that there is a priesthood of all believers, as the reformers called it, that you and I are given the spirit of God to see and experience the kingdom of God here and now as we wait for him to return, that every moment of every day counts As we live that vision out of gospel saturation and restoration, as we live towards that, if we aren't regularly reminded of the love of the Father shown to us in Christ, if we don't taste and see, if we don't feel not only theologically known, we do need to theologically know, but it's visceral. My fear is you and I will burn out that we'll find something else, that it'll be a uh, flash in the pan. And if the vision that God's given me and the desire that he's given me is to see a new ecosystem of the church develops, that, so we plant thousands of churches that affects my great-great-grandchildren, we better start thinking generationally, not start thinking about the next month. And how do we do that? We experience and encounter God's love. So what's the motivation to be sent it's to be that we're loved. 
were known, were seen. And then there's a whole lot of ways that we get to live that out. We get to do that life with God. We experience and reveal the love of the Father. We do that life on life where our lives with our brothers and sisters in Christ are vulnerable and accessible. We are formed and discipled in relationship, not outside of relationship, that we need one another. Life on life also is a recognition that you have gifts that I don't have and I have gifts that you don't have, but we as the body, the soma, when we work together, as Ephesians 4 says, we can build itself up in love. So when we experience love, we walk out everyday life with God, but also life on life with one another and life in community. Because community is the greatest apologetic of the gospel. How will they know you're my disciples, Jesus says? By your love for one another. We can't love one another well until we've experienced the love that each of us have received from Christ. If you look at the Apostle Paul The only time he was by himself in the book of Acts is the only time he did not successfully plant a church. And that's on Mars Hill. We love to talk about that. We love to talk about him in Athens. But it was his least successful ministry trip because he was by himself. Always two by two. God's people in community. And how do we do this? We do it in missional communities. It's the means by which everyday life as a family of servant missionaries this is what it means for us to be the church that's the sentness and so what i want to invite us into though as we think about arising as we think about living all of life as an easter people we're going to spend the next 10 minutes of our time responding experiencing 